In a number of recent episodes, we've talked a lot about identity, the importance of knowing false identities, and the importance of choosing the identity that God actually has for us. And here's the question we have to confront in this episode. What if the reason we aren't experiencing healing is because we are choosing to be enslaved to a false understanding of who we are? This question gets pressed into hard as I talk to Paul Henderson. What I really like about Paul is we have the same name, live in the same city, have a number of the same friends, and yet we have never met. And we didn't connect because we saw each other in the same city or because of the same friends. We connected through a podcast matching service pod match that's totally unrelated to everything that connects us. But I really believe that God brought this conversation together because this idea of knowing that we can actually be enslaved to a false understanding of who we are is so important in this conversation on healing. Because we've already established in past episodes that while we may think we know what needs to be healed, God may actually know of a deeper healing that may need to happen. And if we are holding to a false understanding of who we are, we can actually stifle that without realizing it. But freedom is available to us if we are willing to take that step. You are listening to episode 110 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you for this time for Paul and I to connect, to talk. I thank you that we've already got some connections, but I really believe that through this conversation, you're really going to show how you can weave things together. So we want to give it to you. We release everything to you, all our thoughts, all our plans, and just trust you to guide the conversation. So take it where you want to take it. Yeah, I just pray that we would very clearly recognize your presence in the midst of this as we talk and then later on as we think about it. So it's yours. We thank you and we look forward to seeing how you work. All this we pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. 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 Well, Paul, I'm excited to talk to you for many reasons. But what's fun is you and I have the same name, a lot of the same (laughs) friends, and we live in pretty much the same area. So, you know. This could be a really great conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I saw your name, I saw the friends we had in common. I'm like, how in the world do we not know each other? <laughs> right. And, and, and Richmond's such a small place that usually everybody does know each other. So, right. so this is good. This was meant to be. Right. Here right. we are. One thing that I like to do with guests before we really jump into the conversation is give them a chance to briefly share who they are, but in a fun way. Okay. And the fun way piece is I come up with a random prompt and I throw it at the guest. And so (laughs) here's your random prompt. I don't know why it popped in my head, but here it is. Let's fast forward. It is Thanksgiving Day. Everybody's excited that the pandemic has finally slowed down enough that we have a little bit of normalcy and the Macy's Day Parade is coming back big. And your book has taken off in 2022. So they made a giant Paul balloon for the Macy's Day Parade. So I'm watching it and it's coming down. And the announcer's sitting there in their stand and they've got this blurb to read about who this Paul guy is that's floating down the street right now. What does the little blurb about the Paul balloon say about you? The little blurb would say Paul is married to his beloved wife, Kira. He has four awesome children, PJ, Joey, David, and Noah. He's a dean of students at Elijah House Academy, and he is the author of a book that has taken off, Slave No More, Conquering <laughs> the Master Within. And um, I, I don't know. It'll say something along those lines. <laughs> I love it. You got a balloon now in the Macy's Day Parade. I'm calling it. Sounds good. That'd be something else, man. (laughs) So I remember not long ago hearing about your book because we have a lot of the same connections and the same friends. And I remember it catching my attention. And then ironically, that's not why we connected here. It was through Podmatch that we actually connected. So this service not connected to our area brought my attention to you. And as I thought about the book, as I looked at the profile, I realized there are so many things in what you have personally been processing and so many things that you process in this book. I mean, you're talking about racial tensions, broken families, physical ailments, sexual trauma, all these things and how people overcame them. Right. And I realized, man, in this series that I'm doing on healing, there could be some really robust conversations with Paul. And so Out the gate, I just want to throw a broad thing out there and see where this conversation goes. When you've been thinking about this dialogue we are about to have, when you've been thinking about the fact that I'm doing a season focused on healing, what's been coming to your heart? You know, Paul, I I like to look back at when I first started writing the book. So 
I started writing the book when I was a season similar to where you were when you started your podcast. So a little backstory. I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Richmond for eight years. I did that for eight years. Absolutely loved it. That was the first job that I had out of college. I thought I went to school to be a teacher and I just knew that I would be a teacher and a track coach so somewhere <laughs> here, here in Richmond. But I was involved when I was at VCU, you know, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So when I was wrapping up my grad school, Mike, who was my supervisor and at the time, he was the campus rep or FCA area director. He asked me to come on staff with FCA and I took the opportunity rather than taking the job as a teacher. And man, I loved it. That was all I knew for eight years, fresh out of college. Mm. I went to two, well, I went on a missions trip and then I went to like two or three FCA camps right off the bat. And then I did it for eight years. I worked with middle school, high school, collegiate athletes. I worked with some professional athletes. And I mean, I tell you what, it really began to become my identity. Mm. I remember it was October of 2015, a little bit before that some students at VCU said, Paul, what's your dream job? I said, I would love to do the chapel service for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? And next thing I know, in October of 2015, I'm standing in front of the Philadelphia Eagles doing their pregame chapel wow. before they played the Washington, at the time, the Washington Redskins. So I'm tripping, man. I'm like, okay, I said this will be my dream job. And here I am. Less than a year later, we had the last fundraiser banquet that I was a part of when I was with FCA. And I remember the funding just was not there. Mm. You know, funding had been an issue that I dealt with. And I remember just having all of these people there, just knowing that this would be the turning point in my career with FCA. And I mean, I tell you what, the people that were there for me, we didn't even raise enough money to cover like one month of expense. Wow. And I remember meeting with my supervisor and we were catching up. I mean, he looked at me like a son and we, we still talk. I just spoke with him last week. So we still have a great relationship. And I remember saying, you know, I, I don't understand. He said, Paul, I, I don't either. He said, yeah, really good people there. You had a good amount of people. We're thinking this is going to set you up for the next few months and we'll be able to build from here. But when we look at the results, it's just not there. And I'll tell you what, Paul, I remember on my way to that meeting, I remember crying out to God and saying, God, who am I? Mm. You know, I've spoken at all these schools and different camps have asked me to come speak and so on and so forth. But Lord, who am I? And all I heard, Paul, was you're my son, you're Kira's husband, and you're a father to your boys. That's all I heard. Mm. I had allowed my identity to be wrapped up in my role as a sports minister. It had become my identity. And man, it was around that time when I actually decided to step away. And it was hard, man. I mean, I tell you, for so long, my identity was with FCA. It was with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is still a great organization. Mm -hmm. But where I was at the time, I allowed myself to be defined by my role within that ministry here in Richmond. And it was hard, man. It was hard. So I stepped away from there and I actually began to teach. I taught at a private day school. And I tell you what, what a difference a year makes. So October of 2015, I'm speaking in front of these multimillionaire athletes, and they're coming to shake my hand because of something that I said. Mm -hmm. October of 2016, I'm in front of students who don't care who the heck I am. They're <laughs> calling me everything but my name. Uh -huh. You know, I remember there was, there was a time when one of the students asked me for a Bible at one point. I said, I'll get you a Bible. About a month later, he was throwing a book at me and telling me that I can take the Bible that I gave him and shove it up where the sun doesn't shine. Oh, so man. I was like, I was like, Lord, what the heck? This school was in the middle of nowhere, man. It, it was in the middle of nowhere. And not only that, my wife and I, we were going through challenges within our marriage at the time. So I felt like at that point, everything that could go wrong, it went wrong. It went wrong. And then as hard as that job was, about a month later, I found out the school was shutting down. Wow. And I'm like, Lord, <laughs> can things get any worse? My wife and I, we had two boys at the time and she was pregnant with our third. And I remember January 21st being my last day of school. And then my third son was born March 7th and I didn't have a job. I felt like I was going down a tunnel and the end was nowhere in sight. But the cool thing about it was a month later is when I started writing my book. Mm -hmm. God used that time to really restore me, to really rebuild me, for me to realize that my identity is in him and not in a job title, not in going to speak somewhere. But my identity is in him and how he sees me and who he's called me to be. So that's the longer answer, but I felt like all of that was important to really shape how I got to where I am. And that healing process is what God used to actually help me to write this book. Yeah. Well, and the title of it is Slave No More. And what's interesting to me is 
this idea of identity has come up a lot in this healing series. There's one episode that really hones in on it, this reality that we so often attach our identities to other things, even good things. Like you mentioned, FCA is great. Mm -hmm. But when our identity is attached to something that's not authentically who we are, who God's made us to be, it's always going to cause a misalignment. But the title of your book seems to press us a little more, that it's not just like, oh, whoopsie, I didn't understand. What is this idea of being enslaved to a false identity? Tell me more about what got you to that title and what it means for you. Sure. So I was actually a history major in undergrad, and um, I remember studying a lot about slavery in the Caribbean, slavery in North America. And I remember seeing and reading and studying stories about how the slaves were freed. Some pressed on towards, you know, a better life for themselves. It was hard as heck, man, but they fought through and they ended up creating a life for themselves and their families, while others went back and worked for the same slave master. So what happened is they were actually slaves just without the title, if you will. And then what I began to do is I began to look around society and I would see the exact same thing. I would see person A with one set of circumstances and person B with the exact same set of circumstances. Person A, as hard as it was, chose to overcome. So to say, you know what, if I've been through this, maybe I have a little bit more strength than what I'm giving myself credit for. How can I use what I've been through as a stepping stone to overcome and to provide a better life for myself and my family? Mm -hmm. While person B continues to talk about the circumstance. And every time you bring up a circumstance, it's like, this is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. Now, Paul, I want to be clear. I never dishonor or never take anyone's circumstances lightly. I never do that. I never do that. But one thing I've learned is that it's our choice in how we respond to these circumstances. So when I went around my personal circle, quite honestly, and interviewed people, for example, one lady wrote her name is in my book, Rosa Rogers, but she's actually coming to speak at my school. You know, I'm dean of students currently at Elijah House Academy here in Richmond, Virginia. She's actually coming to speak to our school mm. this week, actually. They're currently in a Black History Month at the time of recording, and she's coming to speak for a Black History event to tell her story about how her school was shut down for five years. And a lot of her friends, they dropped out because it was too hard. But she kept a strong vision in front of her and said, you know what? Yes, this is hard, but I'm going to choose the voices that are telling me that I can do it. And uh, man, it's stories like hers that inspired me. First and foremost, they inspired me personally, but they also inspired me. Hey, we got to get this in the book. We got to get this in the book and show people that overcoming is your choice. You may not be able to control your past circumstances, but you do choose how you respond to those circumstances. Yeah. One thing that's also come up in a lot of these conversations is the idea of broad sweeps. Mm -hmm. Broad sweeps make things easy for us. Mm -hmm. We could just say, well, this is who this is. This is what they're doing. This is what they're not doing. And one thing that I wrote down, and then you started to press into it, is why don't we choose to overcome? Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, is that if you put two people in the same situation and you show them the same positive outcome, both of them would want that positive outcome. Hey, do you want to get out of this hard situation? Both would say yes. But like you described, there are times when somebody does, and there are times when somebody doesn't. Oftentimes, we'll just take a broad sweep of why that is. What comes to my mind as an example is I live in the East End of Richmond, and there's high levels of unemployment, and I know neighbors who don't have jobs. And I hear the broad sweeps of why they don't have jobs, because they're not hardworking, because they're lazy. But because I'm in relationship, I know of the nuances. They may be wrestling with a mental issue, but they can't afford the medication for it. Or they may have a record and they can't. Or they may just have so many stresses in life, it's hard. Right? There's any number of things. But one thing that I know for sure is I have a friend who has been labeled as lazy, but I'm like, man, he works harder than I do. Mm -hmm. Like he's out yeah. there doing landscaping, cutting yards, moving bricks, like do it. He's working hard. So it's not laziness. So what's going on? And so why is it like if we go deep, why is it sometimes that we choose not to overcome even if we desire overcoming as a thing we want? Yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a great question. And uh, like you're right, we'll get a little deeper here. So what I really believe what happens is that it starts with that desire, that strong desire, and it starts with that decision. So I strongly believe that it is a choice. But the reality is, is that some people have more circumstances than others. You know, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. For example, there's a student at my school that I like to look at his situation. We had the same amount of siblings. We're both second born. We're both black. He comes from a single parent home where there are more challenges. Both my parents this year will be 39 years that they've been married. My parents are middle class. His mom is, is bounced from job to job. So even though we come from, you know, same quote unquote ethnic background, we have the same amount of siblings, you know, all of that type of stuff. 
The reality is he actually has more obstacles that he has to overcome than I do. Mm -hmm. Now, even though we both may have made the choice to overcome, he may, quite honestly, I really believe in that saying, giving someone a hand up. He may need more of a hand up than I'll need. I also believe that there are times when I need a hand up. I have also people that have mentored me where there are things where I may not have understood. I'm able to reach out to them, whether it's in my church, whether it's in my community, Mm -hmm. whether it's a former board member from my time with FCA. I'm able to reach out to them and say, hey, I got this question. Can I run this question by you? And, you know, I'm really trying to work through this thing. I actually have within my network people who can see my situation, evaluate the situation, say, Paul, this is where your victory lies here, right? Now, this young man, he may not have current access to that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I really believe that it does take taking a step out, doing something bold, you know, maybe putting yourself out there a little bit. Maybe they need to reach out to a Paul Granger, if you will, you know, or Paul Henderson and say, you know what, I really want to overcome, quite honestly, I don't know how. And what happens is a lot of times there are actually people out there who are willing to help you overcome whatever that diverse trial is. I look at the story that I told about the lady, you know, whose story is in my book. Her name is Rosa Rogers. She lived in Prince Edward County. By the time she graduated high school, she made up her mind she wanted to be a nurse because she saw the vision. She saw a lady dressed in all white. And she said, what does she do? Found out she was a nurse. So she made a decision. She did something extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. She went to Richmond, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Now, for her, the reason that was so uncomfortable is simply this. She grew up in Prince Edward County. She told me, she said, Paul, they didn't have roads and streets and blocks where I'm from. She said, we had dirt roads. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm able to appreciate her story so much is she's actually one of the primary caretakers of our boys when my wife and I need a little help. So I know her story mm-hmm. and I see her now as 70 years old. But when I hear her story, when I hear her telling it, she talks about the people that helped her. But first, it started with her making a very uncomfortable decision and saying, you know what, I'm going to go to Richmond, Virginia. When she got here, she actually found herself in a place where there were people who were actually willing to encourage her, actually willing to say, you know what, you have a vision in front of you to be an LPN. Let's not focus on what happened back in the 1950s when your school was shut down. Let's not focus on what your dad may have said about you when he told you that you weren't worth anything. Let's focus on the vision that you have ahead of you. Now, the things that you've been through, you're already in Richmond, Virginia. So you've already proven to yourself, whether you see it or not, that you're an overcomer because you're here right now, right? Being that you're here right now, let's keep our focus on the things that are ahead. Let's keep our focus on that vision that's ahead. You know, the Bible verse that says, I pressed on towards the things that are ahead, forgetting those things that are behind. Mm -hmm. I love it because I actually saw her live. Well, I I didn't see her live the thing out. She's 70 years old and I'm 36 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But she's told me personally. And when I go to her house now, she, her and her husband, they live in a fairly nice house. She had a 40-year career as a nurse and she chose to not allow herself to be bound. So when I see this dude at my school, I say, hey, you have that opportunity. That opportunity is in front of you. You may have to fight a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. You may need someone to help you, give you that hand up. But when the hand up, be sure that you take advantage of it, if you will, and be sure that you take steps in the right direction. If you fall down, get back up. And if you fall down, quite honestly, do your best to fall forward Mm -hmm. so that when you get back up, you're one or two steps ahead of where you were. Yeah. You know, that piece about desire that you're pressing into here and that desire leading to decision is so valuable because we like to think that our capacity and our resources are the determining factors of what can happen. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have enough capacity and if we don't have enough resources, then we can't move forward. Mm -hmm. And you're right. There are times where we might not have enough and it may take a community coming alongside us to help to get us there. But the desire piece can actually drive us to say, I'm going to reach out to someone or I'm going to take this step. The funny thing is that the inverse can be true in that you can have all the capacity and all the resources and still not have the desire. There's plenty of people in the world who have all the resources, have everything they need and aren't moving forward. And so this desire piece is interesting. What is it that you think drives our desire, drives our ability to use that desire to make a decision if it's not our capacity or our resources? Yeah, I can really appreciate everything that you just said. As a matter of fact, the original attempt behind Slave No More, this is why I know I have to write a second book. Mm. It's because the first one didn't come out how I thought it was going to come out. And the second one is actually going to hit on that area where you said people who actually have resources that aren't doing with them. So basically, you're still enslaved, but at a higher level, if you will. And I thought that's where the first one was going to go, but it's not. 
So I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to build on that. But that desire, I believe that God has put some type of desire in each of us. And sometimes we have to maybe just take a step back and say, like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. Why am I here? For me, quite honestly, I thought it was work with the athletes for so long. I mean, I loved it, you know, and every once in a while, I still do it. Even after I left FCA, I've still done a few chapels here and there. That time being out of work really caused me to dig deep. Now, it wasn't being out of work after leaving a sports ministry. It was out of work after leaving that hard teaching job. Mm-hmm. You know, it was hard. And there were days I was wondering, like, why the heck am I here? But I remember going to an event and there was a pastor there who said, you know, Paul, you've been out of work for three months. There's something in you. There's something in you that needs to come out. And I knew that I wanted to write at the time. And it was, that was actually the night that I, I started writing, April 5th, 2017. I think through that discovery for me, writing, I began to find more of a purpose than what I realized was there. For me, it actually took having things taken away from me, if you will. It's amazing when something's taken away from you. And once again, my wife and I, we were going through some challenges around that time as well. It's almost like you begin to value things more that you probably should have been valuing all along. I begin to value my family more. I begin to value my marriage more. I begin to value my children more. And in valuing my family more, in valuing my children more, it also caused me to take a step back and say, okay, Lord, why am I here? What have you called me to do? And once again, going back to that meeting, he called me first and foremost to be his son, Mm -hmm. second, to be a husband to my beautiful bride third to be my father to my boys. So once I got that squared away, I began to say, okay, now, what have you called me to do? As your son, what's the assignment that you have for me, if you will? Like, if I'm a part of your family, Mm -hmm. if I'm a part of your army, if you will, what is the thing that you have out there for me to do? And it came back to, I want you to encourage people, encourage people that you don't have to be bound to your past. So once I begin to see that, and once I begin to walk around people and be with people, because this story is actually inspirational fiction. It's inspirational fiction with nonfiction stories woven throughout in order to share the story of how you can overcome. The more I began to go through each story, the more I began to interview these people, it gave me a stronger desire to overcome because I was around people who had overcome. I was surrounding myself with people who had overcome overcome that first size, whether it was some type of sexual trauma, whether it was some type of physical ailment, you know, the guy with the physical ailment, you know, he's blind in both eyes, but somehow he's an attorney here in town Mm -hmm. supervising 50 plus people. How did you get there? Mm -hmm. So talking with guys like that, it gave me a strong desire to not only overcome, but it also gave me a strong desire to say, hey, I can help somebody else overcome because I know people and I know the principles that they've shared with me that have led them there. And for all of them, man, it's to really start with a strong vision. Every single person that I interview, it started with a strong vision. They had something that was really strong in their life that they wanted to accomplish, whether it was saying, you know what, I come from broken marriages, but I'm choosing to not allow that to be my story. That focus led them to have successful marriages. And it's amazing. Every person I interviewed, it was that same thing about a strong vision, strong desire allowed them to overcome. Yeah. What you're getting at, too, is there's this level of overcoming that's the inspirational story level, Mm -hmm. right? Right. I thought of the example, too, of someone who none of their family was ever able to go to college. Mm -hmm. And so the capacity, the resources are very low. But that actually drove them. That built the desire. You know what? I'm going to be the first one to graduate. Mm -hmm. I am going to do this because no one before me was able to go. Mm -hmm. Or like you described, there may be something you wanted to avoid. Maybe it's somebody who's like, you know, my father left when I was young. And so that actually is driving me to be a father to my child. There is these things where we can have the thing that was negatively present or the positive thing that was absent that can drive us and give us that vision. Mm -hmm. But somebody could be listening and saying, I don't have vision because I don't know. Like, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what is possible or I thought I knew and every effort I made to get there, it seemed like there was a wall. Like, I don't know. And it made me think about something that's very core to your story, but also core to what you and I believe around how God can work in healing. And it's this, you hit this point where you're like, I was trying to seek God and I was at FCA and everything was great, but then I lost that. And I was trying to be a good teacher, but then I was getting people threatening to put books places. And, and I, God, who, who am I? What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? What's my job supposed to be? And God said, you're my son, you're a husband, you're a father. 
right? None of those pay the bills, right? Right. But those are the things that God gave you. But if we pull back even more, what we're really talking about here is that even if we don't have the desire, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the resources, what you and I know is we have access to a God Mm -hmm. who has all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so there's this invitation, like the inspirational overcoming is a beautiful thing. But there's also this spiritual level of Mm -hmm. overcoming Mm -hmm. that taps into the abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. So tell me a little more about that. When there is the absence of capacity, resources, drive, or even any idea of what a vision could be, how does God come into the picture for that? How could somebody access that abundantly more if they want to overcome? Right. No, absolutely. Part of it starts with knowing and believing. I believe this very strongly. It's that scripture in Jeremiah 29 that says, I know the plans for you, says the Lord. Obviously, if you read the whole chapter, he's talking about something really big, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see what happens after that. But I like to take verse like that and apply it to myself. Okay, so God actually has a plan for me. So God has a plan for me. If I believe in him and I believe that he speaks to me, then I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to try to get a little quiet and see if I can ask him. If he created me, he has a plan for me. He speaks to me. I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to ask him, Lord, what is your plan for my life? Mm -hmm. That may sound very cliche. And I'm not saying that we always hear it in the audible voice. I can tell you how I got to where I am as the dean of students at Elijah House Academy. I absolutely love what I do. I absolutely love what I do having the opportunity to work with the awesome head of school. Mm-hmm. You know, his family has had this school for, what, 32, 33 years. Yeah. So after finally finding a job, I was in corporate America for four years. I started out in sales for the first two years. My last two years, I was in commercial real estate research. When I was in commercial real estate research, I was like, why? Like, seriously, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I mean, I didn't have a real estate background at all. I'm talking to commercial brokers day in and day out on the phone and, you know, so on and so forth. I remember seeking God for like still like, what's my purpose? I'm, I'm here at this commercial job. Right around that time, I actually started my blog, Fatherhood on the Fly. And I started just sharing this inspiration. It started out with actually just funny stories about my kids playing soccer and, and not being too good at it. <laughs> and me being a coach with no experience coaching kids who were chasing butterflies rather than chasing a soccer ball. Yeah. <laughs> I still, still boggles my mind to this day. But what that blog turned into was inspiration to fathers. You know, hey, you can do it. Hey. Be available. Spend time with your children. One thing I always say is that we're learning, we're growing, and we're getting better one day at a time. So between that inspiration there and between publishing my book, I began to see that the Lord was actually laying out his purpose for my life to be an encourager and to be an inspiration. Mm. The vehicles that he gave me was first and foremost my blog, second my book. About eight months ago, eight, nine months ago, I'm sitting at my parents' house and I get a message from the head of school at Elijah House Academy. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, Paul, we've got a dean of students position coming open. You know, we haven't caught up in some time, but would you mind having a conversation about it? Yeah. And I was like, what? Really? <laughs> and it's amazing, Paul. What happened is right away, I knew that this was the next opportunity for me. Was I really looking for it? No, I wasn't looking for it at all. Mm. You know, it's funny. My head of school has actually said this on quite a few occasions. He said that the things that I was putting in my blog are things that he wants to see put into the students in our school. The principles that I'm sharing that I started sharing just a couple of years ago, the principles that I'm sharing here within this book are principles that now I'm sharing with 170 students on a daily basis at school. Mm -hmm. So even though going back five years ago, I was struggling and trying to figure out where I was. Five years ago, I started writing something where I'm using these principles now on a daily basis mm-hmm. with five and six and seven and 12 year olds and 13 and 14 year olds. You know, and it's amazing how me not knowing where I was supposed to be and who I was at the time, God gave me a vision during that time to write a book. And now I'm seeing it active every single day with students. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always happen like that, but that was my particular path. But it really started out with saying, God, who am I? Yeah. And what have you called me to do? The thing is, when you start your walk, you may not know the journey right away. You may not know the destination right away. Five years ago, when I started writing, I had no idea that the seventh grade class in my school would be reading this book every single Thursday. Mm-hmm. Every Thursday, the seventh grade class. I had no, no clue, mm-hmm. no clue. It's amazing how it all works out. I like to say, you know, you ask God, if you ask God, he'll show you. And it may not be in the most obvious way. It may not be an audible voice. He can show you through first his word, two, through prayer, three, through people, four, through circumstances. So I really believe that these are ways he can speak to us and show us the path that he's laid out for us for our lives. Yeah. 
Well, and to take it further, he might not show us the timing and he might not show us the full picture because he didn't say to you, like you just noted, five years ago, he didn't say to you, hey, by the way, here's what I want you to do. You're going to write a book, then you're going to be in the corporate world, and then you're going to be a dean of students, and then they're going to read. Like, he didn't tell you any of that. None of it. <laughs> he just gave you a little bit that you could actually handle at the moment right. with where you were, because where you were, if he had thrown all that at you, you might have gone about things in a very different way. It may have been all about the book. Right. In that descriptor that God gave you of son, husband, father, he didn't throw writer in there as the identity piece. Mm -hmm. Being a writer came from those identities, but we attach ourselves to the thing. Right. Because you back in 2015 or whatever, when someone said, hey, what's your dream scenario? And you're like, man, I want to be in front of all these athletes. And you got to live it out. You back then would have said the trajectory from here is to keep on going up. Absolutely. You would not have chosen to be in a classroom with people insulting you. Right. <laughs> you would not have chosen unemployment. You would not have chosen probably the corporate world or be in a role that you're like, what am I doing here? Right. And you might not have even chosen to be a writer necessarily. Right. right. But God knows what we don't. And that's something I wanted to tap into is this is one of our biggest barriers that we don't want to admit is there's a lot we don't know. There's a whole lot we don't know. We don't know what's best for us. We don't know what God wants to do. But even more, and this is a question I want to ask, you told this story earlier of there were enslaved individuals who had gotten their freedom, and some chose to go somewhere beyond that, and some chose to go back and work for those who had enslaved them. It makes me think of like in The Matrix, where there's the character Cypher, who comes to know what The Matrix is and realize that there's a whole lot of people enslaved in The Matrix. And he says, you know what? I want to choose ignorance of this. I want to go back to that because I don't want to live in this world where it's harder. So I'm going to choose to be enslaved. Right? Mm -hmm. He made that choice. So there may be individuals who choose to be a slave still mm -hmm. in whatever capacity that might be. But I feel like there are a lot of people that might not even realize mm -hmm. that they're enslaved. You're talking about these mindsets that are enslaving us. How do we come to know that they're actually enslaving us? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. That, that's a great question. I think for me, I'm always the type of person, and perhaps this is part of my natural makeup, I've always been the type of person that's just known that there has to be more out there. Mm. There has to be more out there. And I, I remember going to conferences, and whether it's business conferences or leadership conferences, but it was something about being in those atmospheres, seeing different people who have been successful that made me wonder, how'd you get there? How'd you get there? As a matter of fact, when I was doing my fundraising for FCA, I remember Man, you know, a lot of people within my personal network didn't have the resources to help really fund my ministry. I remember specifically going out to a Panera Bread and I saw this guy with a really nice pair of shoes on. And I said, man, he has a nice pair of shoes. Maybe he has some resources. I remember introducing myself to him and said, hey, my name is Paul. I work for FCA. We work with the athletes here. We're trying to be sure that we're teaching them how to have good character and all my whole spiel, whatever it was back then. And what's interesting is from that conversation, it started a relationship. He became a donor. Mm. But quite honestly, after I left FCA, the house that my wife and I are currently living in, he helped me to get here. Mm. You know, he helped us to get here. For me, what it was, was quite honestly, being around people that stretched me. Being around people that stretched me, whether it was stretching my faith, stretching my integrity, if you will. If I see somebody with a really strong marriage and their wife loves them and their kids really love them, I'm attracted to that person. Because my wife and I have been married for 10 years. Our oldest son is nine. Our youngest is two. We have four boys. When I see people whose wife or whose spouse love, loves them with everything they have and their children love and honor them, I'm attracted to that person because that's what I see as part of my success being down the road. When I see somebody who's more financially successful than me, I'm attracted to them. And I may ask a question here or there because I'm realizing, okay, there's more out there than perhaps what I know. And if there's more out there than what I know, how can I learn? And how can I perhaps provide this for my family? Maybe God has more out there for me, and but it's out there for me to keep my eyes open. You know, Paul, I'm going to say something, and I have to check myself on this on a fairly regular basis. It's something about limiting distractions, hmm. you know, because when we're distracted with media, social media, you know, TV and everything that's going on in the world, sometimes we're not really able to see what's already around us. Yeah. We're not able to see that there's somebody that's willing to give us a helping hand because we're so distracted. When we quiet ourselves just for a little bit, when we say, you know what, what's going on? And we're able to really hear God, we'll begin to see things around us that can help propel us to a vision and help to take us forward. Yeah. 
I mean, we were designed for community. Right. So this is built into how God built us to be. Absolutely. He wants us to look to each other, to interact with each other, to encourage each other. I mean, scripture says it much. And then you and I identify as Christ followers. Sure. And so yeah. that piece, it plays into this as well. Christ is another one that we could look at to how does Christ operate? How does Christ move? What did it look like for Christ to be in these situations? Mm -hmm. And how can I learn to emulate that? Mm -hmm. And then there's this other level, right, where we may have these distractions because I think there are distractions. I think there are plenty of lies going around, lies externally, internally that could try to tell us something that could be, couldn't actually be. Mm -hmm. But the flip side is also true that there are sometimes things that actually can't be that God's saying, but I could do the impossible. So you're absolutely right. You don't have the capacity for that, or this thing doesn't exist, or whatever excuses, but that can't stop me, right? It presses us even more into the value of loving God and loving others. Now, I got a crazy question. <laughs> I don't know where this is going to go, but somebody could hear all this. Let's say they're not a believer, and they're saying, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, that we should be slave no more. But then I hear all the other spiritual things you're saying, and it sounds like you're enslaving yourself to God. And in fact, I want to double down on this and I want to pull out scriptures like the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome or Simon Peter, a bondservant, apostle Jude, a bondservant. So are you just trading one slavery for another? Because Jesus <laughs> came to be a servant, right? Like, And so how do we understand this piece of it, that there is terminology within scripture about serving and someone could see that as, aren't you enslaving yourself to God? But you and I know that it's, it's not quite that. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like? What is God inviting us to on that level that is different than the type of enslavement that's blocking us in now? Yeah, wow, that's a good question. That's, that's a really good question. When I think of myself as, you know, you talked about the whole, you know, bond servant to Christ or slave to Jesus Christ, so on and so forth. It's funny, one thing that I shared with the students not too long ago was if we're committing our life to Christ, it's not like we're not getting anything in return. Mm -hmm. So it says, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? He gave. So I'm actually, quote unquote, serving someone, you know, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me. But the cool thing is before he actually gave his life for me, he showed us the model of serving. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He had 12 disciples that follow him very closely. He actually said, you know what? I want to show you all how to serve. Yes, you're following me, but I'm going to kneel down, wrap a towel around my waist, and I'm going to wash your dirty feet. Mm -hmm. So I see this model and I'm like, man, mm -hmm. wow. So I'm seeing a king of kings and I'm seeing a Lord of lords who's not like, I'm going to put the hammer down on you. I'm seeing someone who's willing to say, you know what? I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you. You see, so much of the basis of Christianity is love. For God so loved the world. So when I say I'm a servant, I'm a servant of someone who loves me mm -hmm. and gave his life for me. He says, I'm a bond servant of Christ. And man, I tell you what, I'm okay with being a bondservant of someone who loves me and actually gave up his life for me because he was so crazy about me, who actually said, and this was actually a turning point in my life a couple of years ago, Paul, around that time when I was trying to figure out my identity, I began to say, what does your word say about me? And I remember reading a verse that I read countless times, especially during my time with FCA, because my former supervisor, Mike, man, he would always say this when he would come to VCU when I was a student athlete. He would talk about how you are God's workmanship, how you're his masterpiece in the scripture in Ephesians 2.10. But then one day I read it again. And this is around that time where I'm trying to figure out my identity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I'm your masterpiece. Mm -hmm. So I'm serving the same one who's calling me his masterpiece. Yeah. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And the deeper that got into my heart about the love that he has for me, about the purpose that he has for me, about how he sees me and how about he's not just a God that judge, even though, yes, do I believe he judges? I do believe that. But I also believe that he's a loving God. He's a loving father who loves me so much that he was willing to give up his son so that I could be in relationship with him. I'm willing to serve somebody like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, Paul. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to serve someone who loves me enough to do the things that he did for me. Yeah. Well, you know what? The real kicker here is we got to step back and shift our understanding of what's really going on here. Because what if this whole invitation to servitude isn't for God, but is for us? Right. Because here's the thing. Servitude has existed for a lot of reasons, you know, in the South, 
part of it was because we want to accomplish all these things. We can't do it ourselves. So we're going to make other people do it. Mm -hmm. Or Pharaoh maybe wanted power. Right. You know, having servants gave him more power, gave him more authority. Well, God already has all power. Mm -hmm. You becoming his servant doesn't add to that. He already has all authority. So me becoming as a servant doesn't add to that. And we're not really adding much practically because you and I aren't really all that good at the stuff that God's <laughs> calling us to do. Like I'm not a good <laughs> servant, right? And so God doesn't need us to be servants. So what if it's actually not for him, but for us? And what it made me think of when you were talking is the story of the prodigal son, mm. because this is a story of someone whose identity was a son who said, I don't want this identity because I want more. I want to be my own God. I want to be my own authority in my life. So I'm leaving you, dad. And I'm going on my own. And then, of course, we know how the story goes. It doesn't go well for him to the point where he realizes how little he can actually do for himself. And he wants to return to his father. But he realizes the only way back is as a servant because he's got nothing to offer and he's got no value. And so the only way that his father would ever accept him back is if he is giving his service. Right. But the father receives him back as a son, yeah. as a son who is deeply loved. And so it was this act of accepting that he needed to become a servant that allowed him to actually return to his father, because otherwise he would never have returned. Mm -hmm. He would have either not wanted to or not believed he could have not believed he would have been accepted. And so what if that's part of the invitation for us on a spiritual level? Jesus says to die to self. And that's part of what servitude is. It's like I'm giving up my rights. I'm giving up my things and I'm following you. And what Jesus knows is he doesn't actually want us to lose everything and never have anything back. He wants us to have full life. Mm -hmm. He wants us to know abundantly more. But he knows that we will never accept what he's offering as long as we are our own masters, masters over our own lives. And in choosing to follow his lead in Philippians 2 and take on the form of a servant, we're releasing all these things that actually are lies and distractions and misdirections and are positioning ourselves to say, all right, Jesus, <laughs> what do you have for me? And so... Man, I just, I love all of this. So what we've pressed into here is that it is possible for us to be enslaved in our minds to oh, yeah. false identities, right. to false paths. We realize it's within us to make a decision, to make a choice. God has given us that free will to do so. And there's a lot of reasons that it might be hard for us. How does somebody take that first step towards what you're talking about? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I really believe that it starts first and foremost with a decision. It starts with a decision. And then after you've made that decision, identifying that vision, what is it that you want to do or that you believe that you're called to do? And here's the thing. Sometimes when it comes to figuring out the thing that you're called to do, it may not be long term. Like you said, at the time in 2015, I'm thinking, all right, uh, my first NFL team chapel service, I actually did it again in 2018 and 2019. And it's amazing going back and doing it again. I felt like I was just a completely different person because by this time, God had provided a job for me. I was in corporate America, but I was just a different person, just a, a different person. But no longer did I have that desire to just be out front, you know, all the time, you know. So what's amazing is really once you begin to seek after that thing that's in front of you, it's amazing what can happen in the pursuit for me. At the time, I wanted to be a public speaker. And still, part of me wanting to do that now is not just for the sake of going out there and making a ton of money. I actually just spoke at my first school outside of my current school. And guess where it was? The same school that laid me off. They have three other campuses. <laughs> I went to a networking event ahead of school from the Charlottesville campus said, hey, can you please come speak at our school? Hmm. I came and spoke to the school. They bought enough books for two of their classes because they said what you have here is valuable. Mm -hmm. If you would have told me back in 2017 that that school would lay me off, I would write a book and then that same school would buy, you know, enough copies for two. I, I, I wouldn't believe you. Mm -hmm. And the process of pursuing the vision that I believe I was called to do. Next thing I know, I find myself here. Next thing I know, the other schools are knowing about my book, you know, so on and so forth. So it starts with that decision. You figure out that vision. You start pursuing that vision. And it's amazing what happens in your pursuit. I really believe you'll find yourself in places and you never know what turns will come here and there. It's not always a straight line. It might be a little windy. You know, you might have a branch here. And you're like, how in the world did I end up here? But you got to start walking. Yeah. You got to start walking. You got to start walking towards that identified vision. And who knows, that vision may take you further than what you could ever imagine. And what's so beautiful about that and bringing it back to where you started all of this, you, you asked God, who am I? And he told you, 
you're his son, you're a husband, and you're a father. And what's beautiful is you're now on this trajectory where you don't know what's going to happen next. And what I love is everything could fall apart, right? Like the book could suddenly just never sell again. Elijah House, something could happen and they can't have you on staff anymore. Any number of things can happen that on the worldly level could look like, oh man, this fell apart. This got ruined. But those core identities don't change. That core identity of being a child of God, loved by God, doesn't change. And the Apostle Paul knew that more than anyone else, right? Mm, Like he knew what the successful track looked like Mm because he was on it. Right. And now he sees it as rubbish. And now he's in the worst possible place. And he's like, I'm rejoicing. Mm -hmm. I'll say it again. I am rejoicing. So as you're walking, you can walk with the confidence that even if things don't seem to be working out, God knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. There's just so much more we could talk about in all of this. But the good news is, is if somebody wanted to press in more, there's a book that's been written. (laughs) So if somebody wanted to read this book or even learn more about you or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. First, I appreciate it, Paul. I appreciate the time that we've spent together here today. You can find me at my website. It's paulanthonyhenderson.com. That's paulanthonyhenderson.com. And from there, you can find, you know, there's a link to my Instagram handle, fatherhood underscore on the fly. That's fatherhood underscore on the fly. And there's links to a few retailers. You know, you can get it from any retailer, but, you know, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, you know, you're able to get the book from any of those retailers. One lady said, she said, as I was reading your story and my main character's name is Bobby, she said, as I was going through Bobby's journey, I felt like I was learning right along with him. Mm. And I I thought that was pretty cool because I didn't even think of that, (laughs) you know. That's where I am, paulanthonyhenderson.com. And man, I really appreciate the time that we spent here today. Yeah, and I've enjoyed it too. And I'm glad we're able to finally connect. And you know, one way I like to close out these episodes is give the guests an opportunity to share whatever's on their heart. Paul, what's God putting on your heart right now as we close out? Yeah, well, I'll go back to, I mentioned this earlier, and it's something that I say, you know, as I'm signing off on, if I record a video about fatherhood, And that's simply this. We're learning, we're growing, and we're getting better one day at a time. So no matter where you are in life, hey, let's just figure out how we can make the best of today. How can we make the best of today? Let tomorrow handle itself. Let's just get that a little bit better today. And if you get a little bit better today, and let's say you do that for a whole year, do you realize that you got better 365 days in a row? And when I say 365 days in a row, some days might be a little rough. But if you learn from it, you still got a little bit better. You still got a little bit better. I've been sitting with this idea that the prodigal son would never have returned to his father had he not been willing to become a servant. Whether it was because of his situation or his pride, in and of himself, he would not return. He could believe that his father wouldn't accept him. He could believe that he didn't deserve to be back in his father's home. His pride could make him unwilling to admit how far he had fallen. There are so many reasons that he couldn't return home as he was. But he knew As a servant, his father would accept him. If he really did give up everything, including his pride, his reputation, his rights, his opportunities, his dreams, his future, his father would take him in and he could just do the work he needed to do. Now, what he didn't know is how deeply his father loved him and how deeply his father saw his true identity as his son. Because when he returned, ready to be the lowest of servants, his father embraced him. His father did not require him to be a servant. But because of how far the son had fallen, that was the only way he could break from the old and be willing to step into the new. The reality is, though, he was already a slave. He was a slave to his pride. He was a slave to his ambitions. He was a slave to his situation when it got so bad he had to feed pigs. He had no control over his life as long as his pride, ambitions, and situation controlled each moment. And so ironically, in offering to become a slave to his father, he broke free from the other things enslaving him. 
you and me, we have things enslaving us right now. Our fears, our ambitions, our opportunities, our hopes, our situations, our contexts. There is so much that can enslave us at any given moment and we might not realize it. Which is why Jesus in his infinite wisdom invited us to die to all else and to serve him. Not because he needs a servant. I mean, he came to serve. But because he knows in that act of dying to all and being willing to be all in for him, we actually can be ready for the full life he is offering. Up until that point, we're unwilling to fully embrace the full life. Because to fully embrace the full life means there's something we will lose. There's something we will let go of. But God is after abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. If right now in your life, you are feeling an absence of freedom, that means there is something that is laying claim to your life. There is something that is trying to enslave you, but you have been made free. God has freed you. He has freed you to be his. As his, you will be a child of God with everything that that brings with it. The invitation before you is to put into the light the things that are trying to enslave you, to lay claim of your true identity as loved by God, and to make the choice to step forward, even if you have no idea where you're stepping. As long as you are stepping forward towards God, towards who He is and as who He made you to be, your foot's going to land. And as your foot lands, you can ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?